This is Annie Stevens-Gleason, Minister for Worship and Incorporation at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'd like to welcome you to our worship podcast. Good evening. This is Reverend Gary Lubin, serving as deacon with the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to our daily devotion in the early evening for individuals and families taken from page 139 of the Book of Common Prayer. Our reading today from the Daily Office is from John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. Now let us begin our worship together. A gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the vesper light, we sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. A reading from the Gospel according to John. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. The Gospel of our Lord. Good evening. It was that time of the year for a big, big celebration, you know, to celebrate the Festival of Booths also known as the Feast of the Tabernacles, or just simply called Sukkot. This year, Sukkot was celebrated from September 29th to October 6th. It has its roots in being a harvest festival, and it's a time used to focus on spirituality, hospitality, religious and cultural identity, and abandoning rampant materialism. (laughs) Well, good luck with that last one during this time of the year. 
But getting back to first century Palestine, the faithful who could were expected to make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. So the disciples were very surprised when Jesus told them to go on without him. And they were surprised again when a sneaky Jesus, after stealthily and secretly making his way there, shows up unannounced. In spite of the danger to himself, he suddenly appears, seemingly out of the blue, just showing up in the temple, teaching and preaching. And on the last climactic day of the festival, Jesus said this, but not so quietly, but very openly and loud and clear for everyone to hear. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. And anyone not in earshot would certainly have heard about it. After the festival is over, early one morning, we find Jesus once again in the temple, teaching and preaching to listeners eager to hear his message of love. But Jesus is not so popular with the religious establishment. In order to test Jesus so that they might be able to trump up a charge to bring against him, in order to arrest him, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman there who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They make her stand there alone before Jesus and the crowd. Then they challenge Jesus, saying, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? Well, the seventh and tenth commandments in Exodus state plainly, Thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, or not covet your neighbor's female servant, as well as not covet a number of other of a man's possessions. Then in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we are informed that, quote, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, both of them shall die. It seems to me that the laws of Moses and those varied sordid interpretations of that law were really intended to protect the man's property, including a wife, it seems, from being stolen or otherwise compromised by another man, in great part to protect the purity of a man's lineage. That being said, since the woman was caught in the very act of adultery, should there not also be a man present who was also caught in the act? You know, after all, it does take two to tango, right? So why is the guilty man not presented to Jesus along with the woman? This man is also condemned by the law and should also be stoned to death. He is conspicuously absent. 
Instead, they bring her alone into the temple, quote, making her stand before all of them, end quote. Sometimes hearing these stories leaves a lot to the imagination. Since the two of them, you know, were caught in the act, I assume brought there straight away, I wonder what she was wearing. Did they give her a chance to clothe herself? Are they deliberately shaming her? Or maybe trying to unnerve Jesus? Whatever, I offer that this whole affair is a power play, plain and simple. That's how I read it. The woman in her predicament is being exploited. And in their desperation, what they are doing is the real perversion. A perversion of justice. To begin with, their motives are ill-founded. The word adultery has its roots in a Latin word meaning to corrupt. It seems to me the scribes and the Pharisees are guilty of adultery by corrupting, adulterating their stated beliefs, corrupting the law and forsaking the will of God, which brings us to what Jesus does next. Jesus bends down and writes with his finger on the ground. Never done that before. The only other time in the Bible when someone wrote on the ground is found in Jeremiah. Aha! By writing on the ground, do you think Jesus is drawing everyone's attention to and identifying himself with that verse from the prophet Jeremiah? To paraphrase that that verse about writing in the ground, O oh Lord, you are the hope of Israel, the hope of us all. O oh Lord, all who forsake you and abandon you shall be ashamed, shall suffer disgrace. And the Lord says to us, they that depart from me, leave me, abandon their God, shall have their names written in the earth, inscribed in the dust to be swept away like words in the dust shall be written off as dust in the wind because they have forsaken they have abandoned their god they have abandoned their lord and savior who is the very fountain the fountain the very source of living the very source of life giving waters the source of life itself End quote. Now, remember, don't you, on that last day of Sukkot, Jesus saying that he is that fountain, the source of living water? Well, then Jesus pulls the rug out from under his detractors by saying, let anyone among you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, how cool is that? Let's see what Jesus has done. First of all, by saying it this way, Jesus refuses to outright criticize the law itself, de facto accepting its legitimacy. Even though in our eyes, capital punishment for adultery is barbaric. Right? <laughs> Second, Jesus highlights 
that no one is without sin. No one is without sin. A basic truism that no one could deny, and if they dared to, would be ridiculed. Right? Thirdly, Jesus points to the need for grace, mercy, compassion, and for forgiveness. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Jesus then bent down to write some more. Then, one by one, they all depart, beginning with the elders, we are told. Now, I have to give, I have to give them credit, all of them. They take Jesus' command seriously. It was a command, you know. They are honest to a T, probably grudgingly so, but honest all the same, every one of them. They tow the line of truth, of righteousness. Finally, it is just Jesus and the woman there. Jesus stands up and says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Now, that is the hard part, isn't it? Don't sin again? Ain't gonna happen, is it? I guess that's why we are always confessing, or should be anyway. Forgiveness is a mainstay of life, or should be. It is what makes the world go round, or should be. Let's keep that in mind as today we remember all the events surrounding Pearl Harbor. Jesus many times refers to himself as living water and also bread of life. Love in the form of a person, knowing what it is really like to be a human. Jesus is the source of life, and Jesus is a comfort. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. It is really challenging for me to get it, to fully understand, appreciate, to own it, to fully own this transformational paradigm of love incarnate. I imagine that when I die, I will in some fashion meet up with Janice. At least I hope so. But it will, first off, be just Jesus and me standing there together. Me, naked, exposed, with all my blatant sins hanging about, even blinded by that shining light. I fancy the journey of freeing me from myself will reach fruition in a goodly, godly kind of way, a way I really do not fully understand right now, but hope for, nevertheless, hope for, forgiven, for good, for God's sake, for my sake, and then Maybe I'll get some wings and a cozy robe and then get to see Janice. Amen.
And now a reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. It is not ourselves that we proclaim, we proclaim Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For the same God who said, out of darkness, let light shine, has caused his light to shine within us, to give the light to revelation, the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us now say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This collect for this day is from the second Sunday in Advent. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now let's take some time together, pausing our worship, if you need to do that, to offer up our prayers of intercession, thanksgiving, and praise for the world, for the church, for our national life, for the social and natural orders, for family and personal life, in particular for those who are suffering and those who have died. And now let us pray together in remembrance of Pearl Harbor Day 81 years ago and in view of the ongoing unresolved conflicts in the world, let us pray. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all peoples may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace as children of one creator, to whom be dominion and glory, so guiding the nations of the world into the way of justice and truth, establishing among them that peace which is the fruit of righteousness. And we remember before you with grateful hearts the men and the women of our country who, in the day of decision, ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the people of this land and of the world share the benefits of true freedom and gladly accept its disciplines. These things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the Collect for the Human Family from page 815 of the prayer book. O God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. 
Break down the walls that separate us, unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations and the one human race may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now let us pray the colic for social order and social justice from page 823. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart and especially the hearts of the people of this land that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the concluding collet from page 139. Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and a day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Now go in peace, hope, and joy to love and serve our God in the name of our teacher and Savior, Jesus. Thank you.